You're listening to Common Era, a podcast about spirituality in an age of change. What does this current time of change mean for spiritual communities? How are the traditions that we call home changing, along with our relationships to those traditions? Here's author and musician David Benjamin Blower in conversation with Nicholas Postlethwaite, a Catholic priest from the monastic order known as the Passionists. Hi, Nicholas. Hi, David. You and I are gathered today for a conversation across our slightly different worlds. So you're a, a Catholic priest from the Passionist order. I'm a musician and a writer and a poet from a post-evangelical kind of world. I thought it would be good to begin by sketching our worlds a little bit. Mm -hmm. Could you begin by just sketching out what your world looks like and um, what it is to be a priest in the Passionist Order? Right. How long have we got? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, well I'm, I'm looking forward to a conversation because I think conversations that come from different spaces and are open and are free-flowing um, often take us to places we don't always sort of expect to go. And that's been something, in a sense, that I've not always... Um, anticipated in terms of when I joined the religious order, the Passionists, I didn't anticipate some of the places that it would take me, but it's been a, a fascinating journey for me. I don't know how far I would be regarded as typical, but it's been a, a journey that's taken me from my home originally, which is in Warrington, through the various years of studying, which uh, there's quite long preparation to, to joining the order and, and eventually becoming an ordained priest. And then subsequently, I've had a wonderful experiences living in, in Italy, in Rome, and then in Paris, and then in London. But I suppose the most, um, the most wonderful experience really began in 1971 when I began to live and work in the Liverpool Late area, as we call it in Liverpool, um, which is better known nationally as Toxteth, where I moved with another priest. Basically, that has remained my home since then, and uh, that's where I'm coming from. And um, I've remained a passionist now since uh, the 1950s, and still going strong. That's where I'm coming from. Mm. Well, um, I've grown up in an evangelical environment, really. My, f my family and my parents were evangelicals of one kind or another, a little bit Pentecostal, a little bit Methodist, and I've been part of that world I suppose most of my life and yeah mostly a sort of a very active and committed I've worked in that world and and so on and I suppose gradually bit by bit I found myself among many people who've been immersed in that environment who've developed partly through ethical questions, partly through political commitments, partly through theological questions, developed onwards into what people would begin to describe as a post-evangelical kind of space, which is a kind of an exciting place to be. I think if you're a post-something, you're aware that you're, that you're not the th <laughs> you're neither the thing that was nor mm -hmm. the thing that is yeah. becoming. You're, you're sort of this, uh, you're like the cream between the... the, the bits of sponge which is which is a slight a place of kind of homelessness in a way but also a place that's very fertile interesting and full of beautiful connections to 
the past and to the evangelical world, but also full of controversies and um, questions and sometimes antagonisms. So, yeah, those are the kind of um, energies that go on in my in my faith world. Well, I, I can I can um, I can really identify with that. Obviously, I'm coming from a different tradition. Most people don't know a lot about the Catholic Church; would see it as a very um, hierarchical, structured organization. But in fact, there's a lot more variety within that large tradition than than possibly people realize. And and when I was saying before about feeling privileged in terms of the way my my own journey has gone, I think perhaps at the heart of that privilege has been the freedom I've found to both still find myself within the tradition, but not to be inhibited in terms of being open to the various opportunities, the, 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 the challenges, the tensions, as you put it, that come with ploughing a personal furrow in a way that doesn't necessarily fit in with where everything's about. Whether you, you describe yourself as a post-evangelical, and, and I see the point you're making about uh, something post, it means you've, you've moved on from it. I wouldn't tend to use that term for myself, but I, I do identify with the meaning of what you're saying. In other words, I, I feel that that there's elements in terms of how I understand my belonging to the Passionists, how I understand my Catholic priesthood, how I understand the way that my life and philosophy has been changed, it means that I'm in a very different place now to when I first started. So I would feel a sort of a, a deep sympathy in terms of our mutual starting point, even though we might have begun at different places, and undoubtedly we're probably at very different places now. But I think the journey has got uh, potentially a lot in common between us. I've got all sorts of pessimisms about the world today, but one of the things I feel enthusiastic about is that it seems to me that more and more of us are finding ourselves in a place where dialogue across mm -hmm. you know, difference mm -hmm. is possible. I suppose um, looking into another group from the outside, mm -hmm. everybody looks... Mm -hmm of a piece so you know from a protestant or an evangelical perspective in that you know your infancy in that world a catholic is um mm. is one of these and then the more you connect in of course the more you see the diversity that's held and the difference and the dissonance and the paradoxes mm -hmm. uh, all within a group that mm. you'd um, kind of to begin with probably understood as being a particular thing i wonder what it is about your place in, you know, as a passionist priest that has enabled you to connect with all kinds of different walks of life because I get the impression that that's what's happened for you. You haven't been stuck in a homogenous space, have you? No, thanks for saying that. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're picking that up. I feel that part of the strength that joining the, this particular religious order gave me was that the, the, the underlying commitment within it was, was pretty deep and it would take a lifetime of sort of research into it to sort of begin to understand what it meant. Because basically, the, we're called the Passionists. I mean, it's a, probably a strange name to people who don't know about us. Why, why are we called the Passionists? Well, the man who, who founded us, who was an Italian in the 18th century, mm. had a particular focus on the fact that uh, in the Christian tradition, the culmination of Jesus's life was the fact that he died and that's often referred to um, as his passion. And in the 18th century, when Paul was, was beginning to sort of explore his own sort of intuition, that spirituality, the, the spirituality, the, the heart of human struggle, uh, 
can often end in what appears to be um, a tragic failure and end, namely death on a cross in that case. So when I first heard about the Passionists, I thought, well, that's, that's a pretty challenging sort of concept. I, mean, I, I was only young, I didn't sort of fully realize it. But I thought it's, got, it's, it's a sufficiently all-embracing starting point that would enable me to continue to explore that, hopefully with others, with the support that came from joining, joining a, a community, and would enable me to see where it took me. I still had very clearly, out of my Catholic background and education, a pretty clear idea of what I thought it was going to take me. Becoming a priest, for instance, and becoming a priest would, would have a certain way of actually acting, and the, the sort of the role that the priest would follow would, was all fairly clear-cut. But always at the back of my mind was the fact, well, yeah, it could, it could be a lot more than I'm even beginning to realise. And I think the way that circumstances developed for me meant that I was challenged fairly early on in my 20s to sort of begin looking a little bit more deeply at how that could actually develop. And that then sort of developed further into an opportunity that came in my late 20s to step outside the cultural framework of the monastic life that I was part of and sort of say, well, let's continue the search, but from another starting point. So I think that was the beginning at where the... Um, where the movement began to become more radical and more meaningful for me. Mm, I'm fascinated by that shift, fascinated to know. Well, firstly, the, the realm of religious orders is a sort of mysterious thing yeah. to, the, to the outsider. But also, how can that become constraining? What developments have been on the table or, or you know, are on the table in terms of um, how to be what we are today, now? And what does the world of the present ask of us and demand of us you know in in my circles thinking about the crucifixion of Jesus is an interesting question because people have become quite aware of how the the passion of Jesus can be either used as a sort of a flag of power almost um, mm -hmm. almost a, a colonizing force there's yep. all these kind of uh, songs and you know yep. worship choruses that sound quite militant and colonial and you know mm -hmm. the, the cross is a sign by which you conquer yes as um constantine yes um once said that that spirit's alive and well and then on the other hand actually i i think that energy comes when we talk about the cross <laughs> the cross the cross when we talk about the passion and we talk about the person jesus a human being suffering dying then we have a story and an image of, of suffering, of human suffering, of God's suffering, of solidarity with the worst mm -hmm. that human beings experience. So it's very much in focus at the moment in my circles. The, the paradox of those things, are mm -hmm. they to be held as a paradox or, or do we just need to lean into the, the questions of suffering? One of the questions that raises about this conversation, we're talking across lines of difference. There's a, a Catholic-Protestant difference. There's an intergenerational difference. There's just differences of experience. And then, of course, we're also two white men conversing. Mm -hmm. And the people who've created the world and the power structures that have sort of dominated the world over the last 500 years, certainly, have been people who look like us. I'm interested in on your thoughts on what's the most fruitful thing that happens in a conversation across this line of sameness, um, as, well as, as well as the lines of difference we have. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> you, you, you have a, a lot of questions wrapped up in that one. I mean, you're talking about the way that the, the, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, can be manipulated. I, I totally agree with you. It can be manipulated in all sorts of ways from the point of view of how power is exercised in the name of the cross. It, it can be in that direction. I think it can also, it is also manipulated in terms of how we see God. Because the, 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 a lot of theology would say, oh, well, uh, mankind or humankind has, has, has fallen, has committed sin. God is angry. God needs a sacrifice to be made. And then a lot of theology would say, oh, well, therefore he sent his son and his son suffered. And once his son had suffered, God was then okay. Now, that is a theology I cannot accept and, and do not believe that I think is a manipulation of how we see religion and how we see power projected onto God. So, I mean, there's, there's huge questions there in terms of how we, we, we see the suffering. And, and coming back to the point you're making about the privileged position that you and I have as, as white, educated, relatively affluent, male members of the species, I think that's a huge one because I feel that so much religion starts with the big presumptions about that. And so I said, this, this, is, this is the norm. Now, whether it's Catholic or whether it's Protestant, I would suggest that you can find examples in both traditions that exemplify it, and possibly not just in Christian traditions either. Uh, I feel that the whole religious question is fraught with the, the danger of manipulation where we say we're serving God or we're serving humankind, and in fact what we're doing is serving ourselves. So there's huge questions there. And I feel that the, the exploration of those has got to be done, particularly for the likes of you and me, alongside people who have not got the privilege and have not had the chances and have not been given the, um, the all clear, as it were, that the stamp of approval that you, you are in this, in the triangle, you are way up the triangle in terms of power. So I think that the, the key lesson I learned in moving into Liverpool 8, as we call it, to Toxteth, which was, is an inner city area of Liverpool, for those of you who don't know, for anybody who doesn't know Liverpool, and it's where largely the black community has been concentrated, which is not an immigrant community predominantly. It's one of the oldest black communities in, in the UK. And in moving in there, myself and another priest friend, Father Austin Smith, the, the main motivation was precisely we need to go in to learn what it is to actually face the sort of limitations of poverty, of discrimination, of racism, that were endemic and are endemic in, in that situation. And we were the ones going in to learn as white men of power. And how do we learn to walk alongside the people there to filter, to, to, to realize, to dig deeper in our own sort of background history and self-understanding to say, well, how can we get closer to the reality of what that event on Calvary was all those years ago? has lived out there today. I don't know whether I'm making any sense on that one, but it's, I'm, I'm identifying with the point you were making about the privileged position from which we're coming and, and which sadly often predominate in many church sort of um, plans, strategies, outreach, communications. It starts from that point of view, the privilege. We are, we are coming to do something for you. Can I tell you a story on that? You can, yeah, yeah. The very first day we moved into this tiny little flat, it is in, in Toxteth, 
We were coming from a, a, the tradition of the Passionists, and there was a Passionist community in St. Helens not far away. And, and the men in the community there said, oh, well, well, we'd like to come and celebrate with you this very first day that you're moving into Liverpool. It would, now, it was going to be a celebration of Mass um, by a group of priests from the Order. There weren't any other people there. But it was in this tiny space around a coffee table. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't at an altar. So it was, it was unusual from the beginning in terms of it being outside the norm. And we were proceeding with the Mass and the prayers being said and people were encouraged to join in. And it came to one priest and his prayer was something along the lines of saying, well, dear God, we thank you for this moment when um, Austin and Nicholas are coming into this poor area and we know that you will be with them so that they are able to take your good news and spread it and, and help these poor people in terms of what they're facing. And I could feel the, the hairs on the back of my head beginning to sort of like um, stand up a bit because I didn't see it that way. Even though I wasn't able to put it clearly, I knew that it was more that we were coming into an area that was already rich in many human... It's a wonderful story of Toxteth. It's, it's a tremendous community. And I thought, it's there that we've got to relearn what it means to, to be priests, what it means to be passionists. So I, I sort of countered the prayer that had just been said by, by my own, which was basically saying, well, well, hang on a minute, God, keep that one in mind. But in the meantime, I hope you're going to help us re-examine a whole series of cultural and educational experiences and, and language to find another way of, of finding ourselves as good neighbours alongside those who are there. And I've slightly sort of um, caricatured it a bit, but actually, essentially, that was the case. That, that we were seen, we'd, we'd fought to get permission to actually step outside. I'd been living in a big monastery in London at the time, and Austin had been doing various other things. So we were stepping completely outside the usual passionist tradition. And we were immediately faced in that very first encounter with the expectations from our own group, this is coming back to the Catholic group, we hadn't even begun to find out who the neighbours were. And I, I would count that as the, the real start of a new education for myself, which is still going on. I wouldn't say it's completed by any means. Perhaps I'm a little further on. I hope so than, uh, than I was then. I wrote um, a song recently, which was a sort of retelling of the Tower of Babel myth. And I think it was feeling towards, it was partly inspired by the way that COVID has sort of stopped the economic machine. We're all kind of in for a time, um, which resonated with the idea of you know, everybody just being obliged to stop building this tower for a moment, not to romanticise the pandemic. But I suppose it was feeling towards the way in which to power what salvation looks like is gathering everybody into your city, mm -hmm. into your power. Mm -hmm. But actually the Babel stories, salvation is stopping mm. uh, you know your quest for power mm -hmm. and dispersing mm -hmm. being integrated with all things and all peoples and you know relinquishing that power salvation's outside your city mm -hmm. not within it you find it out there you don't bring people into it uh, in our conversations about this conversation i think we've been aware that it's a conversation about change mm. change in our own groups and tribes and environments but also broader change yes. it's not just our own world that's changing it's everything is changing yes. And the world is always changing, but I think there are times when there's a threshold of profound mm. change. A theme that you brought up a number of times was the language of the funeral or the undertaker and the midwife. 
ending well what's ending, being ready to facilitate what's coming into being, even if it's not your old thing, you know. So I think we're going to continue in the next conversations to explore some of those things. Thank you.